one. We pick up back in uh, the middle of Joseph's terrible ordeal, and uh, that's about to improve in most dramatic way here, as I've kind of alluded to. Um, yes, we're talking about Joseph. Uh, here's a little context if you've missed the last couple weeks. Um, Joseph lived 2,000 years uh, before Christ. Abraham is the father of the Jewish people, and Joseph is Abraham's great-grandson. It goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is number 11 of the 12 boys. And so the reason God devotes uh, so many chapters, 12 or 13 chapters, uh, to one man's life is because of all the Old Testament characters. Uh, he is the most Christ-like. And he, uh, his life provides a, pro- a prophetic picture uh, of uh, foreshadowing the coming Messiah. And uh, he's, he tells the story through his life of Christ's humiliation, his suffering, his faithfulness, his uh, condescension, meaning a theological term meaning his coming down, take the form of a servant, and then his exaltation and his ascension. It's all there in the story of Joseph. Uh, So to refresh our memories where we are at the particular uh, point in his ordeal, his journey, um, you'll recall he's had a hard life. It started at 17 with his brothers being insanely jealous of the father's favor upon him. And this should already start to sound familiar. He was despised and rejected of men, um, persecuted. They tried to kill him. They stripped him. They beat him. They left him for dead at the bottom of a well that was much like a grave. Uh, but up from that grave, he arose. <laughs> and, uh, and they end up selling him. Uh, to slave traders who take him to Egypt. And that's where he's been for the last 13 years. 11 of those years, a slave servant in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the captain of the secret uh, service there surrounding Pharaoh. And God gave Joseph, you'll recall, a lot of favor. And he got promoted and things were looking good. Considering he was suffering in a foreign land, as kidnapped and brought there. Uh, but then came the false accusation from the boss's wife, Cruella DeVille. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yes, a little bit of Jezebel there in Mrs. Potiphar and accused him of attempted rape. Uh, he was put into the dungeon where he's now again finding favor serving. And the warden is uh, letting him sort of run the place. But he's still in a dungeon. He's still separated from the father he loves and the land he loves, um, patiently waiting for God's rescue. So Joseph's, uh, Joseph had a little glimmer of hope last time we were here. Now we'll dive back in. Uh, the, the ray of light came in this. Uh, the cupbearer for Pharaoh, which is called the wine steward, had been incarcerated for some reason. And then he and the baker, who also got thrown into prison where Joseph was, they both had troubling cryptic dreams that upset them. And Joseph, all about his father's business, 
sought to encourage them and said, no worries, God knows what's, what those dreams uh, mean. Tell them to me. And he uh, predicted that the cupbearer would be restored back to his position in Pharaoh's court within three days. And three days passed and the memo comes, release the cupbearer. Big hugs with Joseph, big smiles and a big promise. Joseph said, hey, hey, I don't deserve to be here. I've done you a great favor. Please put in a good word and get me out of this place. I got kidnapped. I got brought here. And even now in the dungeon, I didn't do anything to Mrs. Potiphar. And uh, he probably laughed and said, yeah, we all know that. But um, yeah, so what happened was the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And that's the last line that we uh, read together uh, last time we were here. Verse 1. Now it happened at the end of two full years of waiting after the cupbearer went off to his happy life with promises to help after two long full years that Pharaoh had a dream and behold it's low in the King James I really like it and and it's a wow chapter with God just intervening and there's six times it's low wow check this out Behold, he was standing by the Nile in the dream, and lo, (laughs) from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. But behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. He fell back asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Let's pause there. Check this out. Now take care Pharaoh has a dream. Dream a little dream of me here. There's actually two little dreams and there's nothing little or insignificant about them. They're unusually vivid and very strange and very upsetting. So into the private chambers there in the palace of the pharaoh we go. Now interesting poetic symmetry as it's called. Joseph has two dreams you'll recall and that becomes the source of his problems, right? Pharaoh now has two dreams that will become the source of Joseph's rescue. Very amazing. So verse 1 at the end of two long years where and it's worded that way to help us see, see and feel the frustration and the pain. Right, and so, you know, we all, we get flustered when nothing dramatic happens after we pray and then we say, come on, Lord, I said in Jesus' name over five minutes ago. <laughs> no one likes to wait. This poor guy, he's been waiting a long time, not just two years, 
So a total of 13. And, uh, but b- waiting on God is part and parcel of the believer's life. I mean, every other psalm is, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart, and wait for the Lord, Psalm 27. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope, Psalm 130, verse 5. Wait for the Lord and keep his ways. And he will exalt you to inherit the land, Psalm 37. That's just the way it goes. Our time clock and God's is set to different standards. Amen? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I saw a traffic sign. It's uh, right here by the exit. <laughs> and I see it all the time and it's flashing. Expect delays. And I always whisper, yeah, I know, Lord. <laughs> I know. So when you pray for patience, it's a good thing that you do it, but just so you know what you're praying. Hupomene, in the Greek anyway, for patience, is to remain under. So you're saying, Lord, help me to remain under. You know, And we always throw in the caveat, if you'd like to get me out of this at any time, you know, like yesterday would have been good, but in the waiting in the unseen places of our lives, God is doing his work, building character, (laughs) spiritual muscle, deepening our faith, growing us in spiritual uh, maturity, producing endurance and our understanding. And not to mention, he has to line people and circumstances up, you know? And when all of that works together, boom. That's why Romans 5 says, We don't just rejoice in all of the glorious things that God does. We can rejoice also in our sufferings, verse 3 of chapter 5 of Romans, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, which is another word for endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope will never disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Joseph is going to be ruling Egypt in a few minutes. He's got to be ready for what God has planned for his life. And that means you've got to suffer well while you're waiting. And he did. He didn't lose faith when it, when it seemed like God wasn't answering. Uh, he didn't become bitter when it seemed God was letting the evildoers get away with murder. Uh, he didn't start blaming God when he, or quit walking with the Lord because he was upset and when everything was falling apart. Most importantly, he didn't allow his personal private pain to get in the way of faithfully serving God. Sometimes we think uh, that we are waiting on God, but I think perhaps it's more like he's waiting on us. Um, so Joseph, I mean, to, to, to be compliant, to do what he's asked us to do, you know? Our choices matter in all of this. We have more of a say in our personal advancement than I think we uh, realize. So uh, Joseph's uh, compliant and cooperative, and he understands, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and in due time, God will exalt you. And it's due time. 13 years of patient endurance. God's elevator is set down to the basement floor in the dungeon. The button with the little arrow, uh, the upward arrow there, lights up. There's a ding. The doors open, and Joseph is going to be beckoned inside, as it were, going up. 
So his ascension begins with a couple God-given dreams here. So let's dive in, verses 1 through 3. Seven emaciated cows in the dream, uh, hideous monstrosities cannibalize seven of their own kind, uh, cows that are fat and healthy. No wonder he's upset. What a crazy dream. Cows eat grass, not meat, uh, let alone one another. (laughs) So he tries to shake it off, the absurdity, the perversity, and how troubling the images of cows acting like crazed T-Rexes. So he falls back to sleep, trying to forget verse 5, but here comes round 2, and and lo, (laughs) uh, seven heads of, let's call it corn on the cob, on a stalk, fat and golden, plump, delicious looking kernels, and out of nowhere, seven charred, withered, nasty, diseased cobs, come to life with monstrous mouths that open wide with sharp, jagged teeth chopping down the sweet, golden, innocent kernels <laughs> like a gigantic combine harvester mowing down fields. The king wakes up in a cold sweat. The universe is trying to tell him something. That's how a pagan king would see it because it was so vivid and uh, so otherworldly. So it's not the kind of dream or dreams that you could easily dismiss. Roll your eyes, chuckle and say, whatever. (laughs) Uh, So he wants to know what it means. So he calls for some help. His magicians and his advisors, his court psychos or psychics (laughs) did that on purpose and wise men. But they're all baffled and uh, not even a guess. And you can be sure they don't have, they don't guess because the spirit of the Lord put a spirit of dumb on them, and they're not even going to guess. They have a they, they have crazy eyes right now, induced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so their collective answer there from the occult, your your highness, cows are not carnivorous. They're not carnivores. We don't know why cows are eating other cows. And plants, they don't have mouths. We tell our kids to eat their vegetables, but vegetables eating their vegetables? uh, (laughs) Doesn't make sense to us. So, as the royal court stands there going uh, they're at an impasse and there's that, that terrible silence in the king's presence that's making them all very nervous. Uh, That prompts our cupbearer to finally spill the beans and keep a a two-year-old promise. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer, cupbearers were the wine stewards. He's in charge of the whole thing. They're the wine seller and all of that. Uh, Spoke to the pharaoh. (laughs) I love this. I would make mention today of my own offenses. In in other words, I'd like to confess that I've really fumbled the ball. Uh, Verse 10, Pharaoh was furious. Now you speak to king's third person. You don't, how dare you look at a king and say, you know, you remember the time you threw me into prison? It's not going to happen. So he's going to say, do you remember when Pharaoh once got angry with his servants? He's going to tell the story as if Third person there. Pharaoh was furious with his servants. He, he, you, he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. That's Potiphar. Because in Potiphar's house, there's a dungeon 
the king's dungeon there. Both me and the chief baker. He's really the head chef. Verse 11, we had a dream on the same night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a a young Jewish boy, a nice Jewish boy was there, and uh, a servant of Potiphar. Now, notice he's not a prisoner there. No one sees him as guilty of the charge of attempted rape. It's a joke. So they put him down there just to save face, and there he is, and that's how they refer to him. And we related to him the dream, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his dream, uh, his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to, he, meaning Pharaoh, you, restored me to my office, but you hanged the baker. (laughs) And so let's talk about that. So now uh, Joseph gets a letter of recommendation, a verbal form anyway. Theological takeaway for chapter 41, God is sovereign, he is king. He rules the world and he rules your life and nobody else is in charge of your life except him. Uh, A common enough accepted theological truth, but one that needs reminding all the time. Like Psalm 9, the Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. God's in charge. It's good to remember that when people and circumstances all seem to have all the power in your life. Uh, Good news is it's not the person or the predicament that has the power. It's your God. Pilate had to learn the hard way, telling Jesus, the Son of God, you refuse to talk to me? What's your problem? Don't you understand? I have your destiny in my hands. And Jesus says, no, you don't. You can only do whatever heaven lets you do. Heaven's got the power. You're just kind of one of the pawns in uh, the play here. And so time to get the real wise men on the scene, since it's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, Joseph is really the, has the exclusive scoop on what true knowledge and understanding and wisdom is all about. And so the wine guy, if I can call him that, remembers that. And he's heard and seen Joseph in his element. They were in prison a while together, and he remembers what happened two years earlier in jail there. Uh, in the dungeon, and, and he remembers the promise and, and, and how happy he was that Joseph comforted him, had words of wisdom, and of course he would say, of course I'll say something uh, on your behalf. Uh, yeah, but he forgot him. But it was God who uh, caused him to have spiritual amnesia uh, because it wasn't the right time. Now, Had Joseph been released two years earlier, he just would have gone home. How anticlimactic. I mean, to just go to your home instead of going to a throne where God would use him for the saving of many lives. One writer said, never try to forcefully pry yourself from your prison of testing before the appointed time lest you forfeit something far greater than the mere alleviation of your distress. Don't really like that. Uh, the wine guy f- swallows his pride. I, I like the wine guy. I mean, look what he says. Look, <laughs> I should have said something a long time ago. I'm at fault here. 
love that honesty, you know? Then, I mean, he could have made up a story about how he happens to know there's somebody in the prison, but he actually tells the truth there, which is like for a government official, a very rare thing. <laughs> Some of you are paying attention. <laughs> then he rehearses the whole unpleasant, humbling memory in third person, right? Remember when you tossed me in the slamber? Slamber? <laughs> in the slammer? Pharaoh, you were enraged. You had me and the head chef incarcerated there. Me and the baker, we had cryptic dreams, blah, 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 blah. Turned out exactly. Pharaoh restored uh, me, and you hung the baker, just as this nice Jewish young man said you would. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him up out of the dungeon up from the grave he <laughs> And when he shaved himself and changed his clothing, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to Joseph, I've heard this rumor. <laughs> I've had this dream, but no one can interpret it. I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Love it. So the recommendation, note takers, turns into an invitation, an invitation to stand in the court of the king. So what a difference a day makes in God's economy. Christian, remember this. Just remember this. I mean, in a snap of a finger, everything changes. One phone call, one text, just one sunrise. What a difference, you know? Was it on some terribly boring Tuesday afternoon dragging on like molasses, like all the previous 676 Tuesdays? Flies buzzing around, floors need to be mopped, latrines need to be cleaned, garbage needs to be emptied. All the while, Joseph is daydreaming about what it would be like to walk outside and smell fresh air. He hasn't smelled fresh air, really, in 13 years. Along the banks of the Nile to enjoy the colors and the river, the beautiful wildlife, happy and free, and just then footsteps coming down. The steps there into the dungeon, the commotion, stirring, and the royal courier descends and starts shouting orders. The king is calling for Joseph. One second, boom, it's over. It's all over. And what's coming is going to blow your mind and blessings. And what, what God has in store, by comparison, will make every single trial, trouble, and tribulation you've ever experienced, Joseph's, look like nothing in comparison. That's a promise out of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, around verse 17, that what's waiting for us when we get there, nothing will compare, and it'll make the worst thing that's ever happened to you looked like a trip to Disneyland. So, yeah, you're um, in the footsteps. There he is. He starts calling uh, for Joseph. Now, now, kings are not accustomed to be kept waiting, especially when they're anxious and they're unsettled. So time to move. So there's a quick shave. Egyptians didn't do beards. Ancient uh, this is part of the reason his brothers in 20 years from the time they sell him away, it'll be 20 years at that point, 
They don't recognize him. He might be completely shaved. That's how Yul Brenner was in the movies. <laughs> That's all I have to say. With eyeliner, the whole thing, with the big hat, they don't understand him. He'll be speaking Egyptian and all of that. So uh, yeah, change of clothes, shave. The orange jumpsuit's not fitting for one from whom the king is going to seek counsel. You know, so jo Joseph takes his place on the X in front of the king. <laughs> is his blood pressure a bit elevated? I would think so. I mean, is he praying, God, please do not let me down right here? You know, so Pharaoh speak first, as is often the case with kings. Verse 15, I've had an upsetting dream. None of my guys can tell me what it means, but I've heard a rumor that someone can tell you their dream, and then you can tell them what it means. And I love this, Joseph's first words in freedom. Careful to give God all the glory. Now, I wonder how many Christians would have used the first opportunity to speak in freedom by saying, I'd like to set the record straight. It's been 13 years, unjust suffering, Pharaoh. <laughs> Thank you for an audience. You know, before we get to your problem, uh, your wine steward's a chump. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> Potiphar's wife ruined my life, just so you know. Yeah, so no, that's not how gracious believers roll. Uh, to your request, O King, God can give you what you're looking for, not me. So right away he's telling Pharaoh and everybody listening. Get your eyes focused on who's truly great and who's got the answers to all life's mysteries. It's God and not me. Verse 17. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. He kind of nodded probably. He heard that and he said, okay, here's my dream. Behold, lo, <laughs> outstanding in the bank of the Nile, Behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly and gaunt, such as I've never seen for ugliness in all of the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows, yet when they devoured them, it could not be detected that they were devoured them, that they devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. That's kind of funny. <laughs> and he says, look, they're skinny and ugly, and then they have a great meal, and then they're still skinny and ugly. Then I awoke. I also saw my dream, and behold, seven ears full and good came up on a single stalk, and lo, seven ears, seven ears withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. Then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So Pharaoh relates his dreams. By the way, what you wouldn't notice, maybe you did, but Pharaoh is unraveling emotionally, <laughs> and, and here's why. His version of the dream is different than the narrated version in intensity and grotesqueness. And so he's getting more and more anxious, and he throws in a question why didn't the emaciated cows look any better after devouring all the fat cows? And the gaunt 
the language for the gaunt cows is like a horror movie. It's really, really ugly and dark. So he, he reiterates, I told the smartest guys I know, uh, but look around you, nothing but blank stares. And so we'll go two slides now, two paragraphs, just for moving a little bit quicker. It's a long chapter. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears, this is like a tongue twister, <laughs> and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 29. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all of the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come. So he's elaborating. And all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very uh, severe. So 31, nobody will ever remember the seven good years, because the, the seven bad years will be so devastating. Verse 32, now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God's going to quickly bring it about. So we'll just leave that last paragraph up there. I'll make a few comments, so we'll move on. Now, uh, Joseph's interpreting the dreams... So no hesitation, no hemming and hawing. In a flash of insight, God just makes it obvious to Joseph as the obvious as the nose on Pharaoh's face. And so he says, there's coming seven years of bumper crops, lots of rain, good overflow from the Nile. They really depended on that overflow. And uh, that's what really made the difference. Few pests just overflowing baskets of fruit and grain and produce everywhere you look, livestock that's fast, fat and healthy and reproducing, and they're all having twins. It's just unusually productive harvests, which will be followed by the polar opposite. No rain, no overflow, lots of pests, unusual unproductive crop failures, the animals miscarrying, just a disaster. And uh, that God gave you two dreams uh, that have the same meaning. God's not fooling around. That's the meaning. Uh, he's pretty intense. It's going to happen. Clock starts now. Verse 33. Now, let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. And set him over the land of Egypt. Well, that's exactly what needed to happen. And he knows that. He knows that. But he doesn't offer, and he's not going to promote himself. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. And then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. 
All right, so some practical advice. So any good administrator, and he's got the gift of administration, doesn't he? Uh, gives practical advice with a dire warning. That's how it always has to be. You identify the problem, and then you propose a solution. That's what he's doing here. Wisdom literature, the Proverbs, always does that. It never just tells you the problem or a warning. It tells you what to do to avoid uh, the calamity described. So, for example, and in a similar vein to this, um, the proverb says, be sure to know the state of your flocks, your bank account, and pay close attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever, nor does a crown endure to every generation. In other words, financial blessings, the opportunity to work and make money and be lucrative, you can have a great job, you have plenty of income, and it can all be gone in a moment. Everything can change. So don't live taking life for granted or blessings for granted, but think, uh, thinking everything's always going to be flush. So there's a prognostication, there's just prognosis, and then there's a, a proposal for changed behavior. So uh, Joseph counsels the king here, 33, and following, in light of the hard times ahead, let's get work to, uh, let's get busy today do the work. Now it's awkward and it sounds self-serving when he says um, he knows what needs to be done. Somebody needs to be in charge of this. Pharaoh's not going to do it. And the wise men aren't going to do it. because They couldn't even figure out the dream. So everybody sort of knows it has to be him. But but he's not going to promote himself because he knows. Promotion comes neither from the east nor the west nor the north or the south. It is God who brings one down or exalts another. And so uh, it seems like pretty good odds that he's the one for the job, but he's not going to put himself forward or toot his own horn. He puts the decision on Pharaoh and says, this is the kind of guy you need, and this is what that guy's going to have to do. And he describes it. He lays, <laughs> lays, lays it out. And you know what? I have a little smiley face here that says, you know, knowing the risk of not saying, you know, I could probably do this for you. You know, I have a good resume, ask Potiphar. Um, <laughs> you know what? Uh, he's taking a risk by just putting it in Pharaoh's uh, court, you know, and if things continue as they have for 13 years, uh, it could be very well that the, the king would uh, select one of those silly sorcerers and he'd go back to the dungeon. Uh, but he doesn't care. He's going to take the chance and he's not going to put himself forward. Um, he's going to let God do that. And so he proceeds to not only describe the man, but then describe what that man should do, this wise and discerning someone with expert admin skills who understands economics and commerce. He'll need to appoint teams. He'll need to save 5% of the crops each year. He'll need to securely store it, safety concerns under guard, and then he needs to be skillfully uh, minded to disperse the resources equitably during those long seven years. Verse 37 and following two slides. Now moving faster and faster. 37. Now, the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and all the servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, 
Can we find a man like this in whom is the divine spirit? It's really nice in the Hebrew, in whom dwells the spirit of God. Wow. (laughs) He shines and they are making connections. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all this, there's no one so discerning and wise as you are. Who else would we pick? You shall be over my house, my palace, your chief of staff now. And according to your command, all my people, my staff, shall do homage, pay you respect, and revere you. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Okay, he's shocking this poor guy. He's 30 years old. The last thing he remembers is swatting a fly downstairs in the dungeon, you know? Pharaoh says to Joseph, see, see, pay attention here, kid. I've set you over all of the land. Are you getting this, Joseph? Are you getting this? You're in charge of the whole nation. And Joseph's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Next, then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot And they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, make way for Prince Joseph. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. I don't know how many times they can emphasize, uh, the word can emphasize what's happening here. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one will lift a pinky in all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphonath Paneah. And he gave him Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On. Now Potiphera has a relationship verbally to the sun god, so it was a popular name like Potiphar. And he gave him Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, as his wife. And Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. Okay, we'll go back to 37 and 41, just a few comments, and we'll move on. Pharaoh's reaction here, uh, he's going to choose Joseph, and now we get to see Joseph's benefit package here. So Joseph's uh, counsel brings a collective sigh of relief to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's administration. They agree, you know, where else are we going to find a guy like this? Come on, he's obviously the one. He understands the dream. God speaks to him. Boom, kid, you're hired. You got the job. So Pharaoh's uh, logic is is that we could do this nationwide search, but come on, he's the best qualified. And so uh, observe the greatest compliment ever paid to anybody in in the entire universe by a pagan king. Where are we going to find somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit like you? He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He, He recognizes your countenance what we know about what you did for 11 years in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the head of secret service. He reports directly to Pharaoh. So in 11 years where he didn't even do his job because Joseph was doing it, all Potiphar concerned himself was what he's having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's what the Bible says. Joseph ran the entire agency. You don't think Pharaoh knew about Joseph? 
He talked to, to Potiphar every single day. What are you doing today? Well, I don't have to do much because that guy, that young Jewish man, boom. You see, this is why Pharaoh is like, he's had 11 years of testimony about what this guy did and all about the two years that he took over it for the warden after he was falsely accused. He knows all of this. So that would explain why he's lavishing all of this power and authority on him on top of the dream, of course. And so this is the first time somebody is mentioned to be filled with the Spirit of God. One writer said it should always be the case that unbelievers are able to see the workings of God in our hearts and lives and conclude that His Spirit must dwell within us. The way that that happens is when we behave otherworldliness, other, in otherworldly ways. Does that make sense? In other words, forgiving people who hurt you, um, blessing those who persecute you, uh, turning the other cheek, showing forgiveness, uh, that gets people's attention and they say, hey, there's a different spirit about that guy. That's what they mean there. And so there stands an attractive 30-year-old man with shiny eyes, eloquent wisdom, with a frightful prediction, but with a decisive, decisive plan. And uh, they're thinking, Joseph, Joseph, he's our man, if he can't do it. Thank you. Verse 39 and following, uh, since God informed you, you know, apparently he wants you to be uh, the man. So starting today, you're prime minister. I'm the king, but you're the guy in charge. Your chief of staff, and we just read this, 42 through 45 now on the screen. The signet ring, uh, the signet ring had an image and it worked as a stamp into wax that was like Pharaoh's signature. It was like, I don't know, giving him the credit card. It's, it's just like all the pin codes and all of this. And so, yeah, he, he, he's also brought out a new wardrobe, uh, like royalty, what only royal people would wear. Uh, makes us think of the robe that his brothers ripped off of him and his clothes that Potiphar's wife tore. Now he's got new threads. Nobody dare lift a finger to those clothes, lest you want to die. The gold necklace, a symbol of royal authority. We saw Daniel get one of those in a very similar situation with a king with a dream and Daniel with the interpretation. Very interesting. And he goes for a second ride in 13 years. The first one was in a cage on a cart behind some donkeys with chains on, being kidnapped out. That was his first ride in 13 years. And then 13 years later, he's in the Pharaoh's second limousine with runners in front of him saying, bow the knee, people. Bow the knee, here comes Joseph. Wow. The day before, he's mopping the floor, going, God, where are you? God, where are you? All my life. Right? And then God's like, could you just hang on 24 more hours? And maybe that's what he's saying to you tonight. Could you just hang on 
24 hours. Things are going to change. You never know. Sooner or later, that 24 hours is going to come, and you're going to be in line for a surprise blessing. So no one says uh, the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first better than Joseph. The reversal of fortunes is coming. Jesus said at the renewal of all things, which is what Jesus calls the second coming, he goes, this will be a reversal of fortunes. The marginalized, the oppressed, the mocked at Christians will be in charge and ruling <laughs> the next rulers of the administration. And it's kind of kind of like what happens here. You know, in verse 43, you know, you see Joseph's, remember Joseph's original dreams that everybody's bowing down before him, and now it starts the divine fulfillment. And everybody down those long Egyptian streets, the trumpet sounding, the here comes the chariot, and everybody's bowing, making way for Prince uh, Joseph. But Pharaoh seems like he's out of control with this thing. Not a, not a person will lift a little toe without your permission. And everybody's hearing that. And what are they thinking? What, like, oh my word. I wonder if I said anything to offend Joseph while he was in the prison. Or did I make a remark about Hebrews? Oh Lord, please. (laughs) You know? And so now everybody knows this guy, this guy is the czar. Right? Now, how about when the news gets to Potiphar, guess who's prime minister of Egypt? Potiphar would say, Joseph. And good thing, Potiphar and him are I think they're good friends, actually. Now, Potiphar's wife's going to get the news. Yeah. Hey, Mrs. Potiphar, guess who got out of jail and is now running Egypt? (laughs) It's Joseph. Remember him? The one you tried to seduce, uh, he snubbed you. You got so mad, you lied about him, slandered him, and ruined his life. Got him tossed into the slammer for two years. Remember him? He's now prime minister. Whoa. (laughs) She moved to Venezuela. I don't know anything about this. It's it's written in the New Testament book, the book of first Balonians. This is a messianic truth about this, oh no, now what? I treated him badly and look what happened. He got up like this. You know what? That's a messianic truth right out of Jesus' life. Because let me assure you, the guy who punched Jesus in the mouth when he answered the high priest, this guy standing next to the Son of God and whacks him right across the face. Oh, when he dies and realizes that Jesus now got a promotion of sorts. He's always been who he was, but he got exalted, didn't he? Just like Joseph sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And now the guy wakes up and realizes that's the dude I smacked across the face. This is not good, right? But isn't that going to be the case with every unbeliever who dies and cussed, him, cussed with his name, ignored his name, neglected, persecuted his church, and then they awake or he comes back and they put it all together. Whoops, I made a big, big mistake. And so, yes, they did. 
Okay, so uh, let's move on. New job, new clothes. We're almost done. New ring, new ride, a new name. His name translates, God has spoken and he will live. That's what it means. And commentators say that because God has spoken to Joseph, that he and Pharaoh and everybody, that there's a life because of that. So that's why he named him that. Uh, and um, he gets a new lovely princess as a wife. So he gets a new wife. Uh, lovely princess for an attractive young man. You know, it's a, just, just a beautiful story. Three paragraphs to go. We can do this. Let's do this. Verse 46. They go quick. They're just... Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. Phew. So he gathered, that must have been very nerve-wracking on those hot days, <laughs> you know. Come on, where is the rain? <laughs> so he gathered all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields. Thus Joseph stored up the grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it because you couldn't measure it anymore. So God's word comes to pass, bumper crop, seven good years. Uh, God's word is proved right. Surprise. Um, imagine, though, the possible anxiety, you know, and the need to, to exercise your faith because, you know, there had to be overflowing abundance every single week and every single season and for seven years. What if there was just one bad year <laughs> in the mix or one swarm of locusts? I would see a fly and be like praying to God, no, Lord God, because one crop failure, and it's really off with his head, you know. No more chariot rides. The last ride would be to the Egyptian cemetery. And I'm sure the devil had lots of fun during the testing years, you know. Oh, it's getting hot. I don't see any rain clouds, you know. It's over, brother. Nice ride. Whatever. So be that as it may, the abundance came. Joseph was successful at storing up the resources. Verse 52 more paragraphs. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph with Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore to him. By the way, Jesus has a Gentile wife as well, doesn't he? He's a Gentile bride that the father gave him. You see there? Another little parallel. Um, Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God had made me fruitful, has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So Joseph reveals here the secret to overcoming adversity and the key to a happiness, key to happiness even when your life uh, has been a disaster, for lack of a better way to put that. Uh, simply put, here's the key. Forgetting the past, forgiving the hurts, letting go of the wrongs and the injustices and moving forward with God's will for your life, serving him. That's the key. Not a lot of Christians do that. They get derailed. So the first son, Manasseh, you, you just see by the naming of his boys what's in his heart, how he lives. Here's what it says. God has made me, helped me, 
forget all about my troubles and the horrible wrongs committed against me by my own flesh and blood. The second boy's name, Ephraim, God has made me fruitful even though I'm stuck in a land of my suffering. So God has made me fruitful. He doesn't say God has made me resentful. God has made me vengeful. God has made me neglectful or wasteful. He says fruitful. I have a choice. Hurting, 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 disappointing, disappointing, disappointment. I'm going forward. I'd be with the congregation if he could. He wants to serve God. So he was helpful in Potiphar's house. He was helpful to the warden in prison in the dungeon. And now he's helpful to Pharaoh. And so he's just saying, look at this. I get to, to be blessed and work for God even though I've been in a lot of pain. So, yeah, so we have a choice. He doesn't care if he's in the dungeon or before the throne in a chariot or cleaning toilets. He just loves the Lord. C.S. Lewis did make this comment, and uh, then we're almost done. We can't be fruitful for God until we become forgetful. Until we make room in our hearts, clear out all the clutter of offenses and resentment and hard-heartedness and all of the record of wrongs. That's why Jesus says you've got to keep short accounts to make room for what God has for you today. Now, here's what he says in, the, in C.S. Lewis' book, The Great Divorce. Hell is a place where no one forgets anything. They remember every insult, every cruel exchange of words, every wrong ever done to them. And everybody is utterly unforgiving. But in heaven, all these things are put away because all things have become new. So Joseph had room in his heart to go forward. There was The ram was there, if you can put it in computer terms. He forgot about what lies behind, made room in his heart for the new mercies and new good works that the Lord has for him. We made it. Last paragraph. This is why we only sang one song, because there's 50, 57 verses. When the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine became, began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was a famine in the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and the Pharaoh said to everybody, go see Joseph. Whatever he says, do it. When the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. The people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. Wow. God is up to something, and most of you know what it is. So... God's word is fulfilled again, just as there were seven fabulous years, now there are seven years of devastation. Um, no one ever wants to see a disaster happen, but I think in this case, Joseph was relieved somewhat when uh, in year eight in counting, suddenly all this goodness came to nothing, dry, and the land plagued with disease and scarcity, and so, yeah. I wonder, did Pharaoh get saved? Are we going to see this Pharaoh in heaven? 
I don't know, but it looks like it, it's a possibility, right? Because when that eighth year came and suddenly the bumper crops just, just immediately, everything dried up, he's like, man, there's a God in heaven. And everybody else, the whole land of Egypt knew what was happening. How many Egyptians got saved just because Joseph played along faithfully and rolled with the punches and let God take him and use him and, and take what was meant for harm to use for good to the saving of many lives to get ahead and quote Genesis 50 verse 20 there. And uh, this is a beautiful thing. So yeah, he was probably almost happy to see the scary skinny cows start roaming uh, the land because they had uh, provision. So when verse 55, when the crisis time came and the killer cows were on the loose, uh, everybody was directed to Prince Joseph. And so now notice in 56, the famine is pretty serious. It's over all the face of the earth. This is a hook. God needs to get people's attention, especially um, 11 thug brothers. If they want to see food, if they want to stay alive, there's only one place in the whole earth where they're going to have to go and get the food. And that would be to Joseph's front door. <laughs> That's what this is about. I want you guys to get on your little donkeys and I want to bring you back face to face with your brother Joseph. I want to show you what happens to a man who will humble himself and suffer injustice and trust the Lord because he who humbles himself I will exalt. Let's pray together. Father God, we are waiting <laughs> to see this beautiful reconciliation that starts off pretty uh, dramatically. Next week we'll read in chapter 42 just about how you're working in all of their hearts. and It's amazing God. Thank you for the truths and the insights that we found here in this uh, very detailed chapter. We're thankful God for all that you've spoken. Now seal it in our hearts and lives and help us to live it. It's easy to, to hear it it's harder to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.